Well, good morning. It's good to to be back together as we continue on in this journey through the core of what we believe. Um, And last week we had the kids in here and had a a great time talking about uh, the question of who am I? And such such an important question for those kiddos as they grow up and uh, as they ask that question, but such an important reminder for us as well. We read uh, Max Lucado's book, You Are Special, which is just incredibly profound for all of us. Uh, and it's disguised as a kid's story, um, but it's really for us as we think about how we view ourselves uh, in, in, in how God views us and how often that gets twisted together. I want to go through uh, these five core beliefs that we've gotten through so far uh, and that we can spend some time uh, remembering these and kind of going through these. Uh, Each one has a question that goes along with it, and so we want to ask that question, and then if you you share in that belief, I want you to to recite that out loud with us as we we go through these, uh, as we went through them last week with the kids, and I think it's important for us to go through them again. So the first question we ask, is who is God? Uh, Who is God? And this is our belief that comes out of that question of who is God. Let's read this together. I believe the God of the Bible is the only true God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so that answers the question of who is God, Uh, but then we have to ask the question of is God good? God doesn't have to be good. And so we ask this question, we, we, we see, okay, this is who God is, but is God good? And so we share this belief, and we, we say this together, I believe God is involved in and cares about my daily life. How profound is that, to know that the God of the universe, the God, Father, Son, and Spirit, cares about me and my daily life. And because he cares about my daily life, we have to ask the question of, how do I have a relationship with God? If God is one who cares about my daily life, how do I get into a relationship with him? And then we share this belief. I believe a person comes into a right relationship with God by God's grace through faith in Jesus Christ. It's not about our performance. It's not about what we do right or wrong. It's about the grace that comes through Jesus. And that is how we get into a relationship with God. And so if we have a relationship with God, that leads us to the next question that says, how can I know God and his will for my life? How do we know what this relationship needs to look like? How is that relationship defined? What are the details of that relationship? And so we have this belief about the word of God. I believe the Bible is the inspired word of God that guides my beliefs and actions. And so that is how we know about what this relationship with God is like. And so then our question Last week was the question, who am I? As we look at scripture and we look at this relationship with God, who am I? Do I have some sort of clarification as to to my standing or identity of who I am? And we find this belief out of scripture. Let's read this together. I believe I am significant because of my position as a child of God. And so these are the core beliefs that start to shape who we are, and who we're becoming. And, and we grow in our understanding of these. Uh, the, the kids could answer many of these questions, right? So it's something that's very simple, even a kid can grasp. But as we grow and as we learn and as we experience more life, we have a greater understanding and a greater depth to the answer of these questions, to really understand who God is and who I am. 
is a lifelong pursuit. And so we're in this process of, of trying to get from a place of intellectual understanding to a place of real heart understanding. And that's where belief resides, is in our hearts, not in our heads. And so we can have an intellectual pursuit of something and miss the point. Our life is not changed. We don't become any more like Jesus because of intellectual understanding. It has to go from there into our hearts. And so we're going to sketch out this, uh, this person here. Um, and there's nothing more intimidating than drawing in front of a crowd. <laughs> so so I, I did it. So for those of you who are close, I did a pencil outline to start with. So <laughs> I cheated. But we're not talking about that now. Honesty is for a different day. All right, so, so we've got this, this person here, and we're trying to be a person that becomes more like Jesus. And we have this, this head of ours, and we'll, we'll, we'll draw this, this little brain kind of thing in here. And so we, we, we do a lot, especially in our church heritage, right? We do a lot to get things into our brain, we want to understand something intellectually, and so we study it, and we study it, and we study it, which is a good thing, right? That, there, there's nothing wrong with an intellectual pursuit of something, and, and this is a lifelong journey. So the children can answer the question, is God good? They can say yes, and as we grow and as we learn, we gain a better intellectual understanding as we journey towards a greater intellectual understanding of who God is and who we are. And so we grow in that, and that's, that is a lifelong pursuit. But if it stops at that mess of a brain, and it, it only resides there, then we're missing something. We're missing an important part of this because we have a heart. I didn't sketch that one ahead of time. Um, we have a heart, and that's where belief resides. And so we're trying to get it out of our head and into our heart, and this becomes an incremental journey as well as we grow in greater belief as, as to who God is and who we are. And so we, we need to be growing as people in our hearts of what we actually believe because that's where transformed behavior happens. That's where we become more like Jesus. And so for the last five weeks, we've been talking about things that are primarily related to our vertical relationship with God, who God is and who we are, and, and this, this vertical, upward relationship between the two. And today we're going to kind of shift into thinking more about what we believe about our relationships with one another. Uh, we've talked in the past at, at various times about this idea of up, in, and out, that we have an upward relationship with God. That's what these first five have been about. But then there's also this relationship with one another, other believers, as well as relationships with our neighbors and our coworkers and people who are not a part of the church, and that's the outward component. And so this horizontal relationship with one another is what we're going to be talking about for the next five weeks as we think about how we interact with each other. As a, as a church, we are called to go and make disciples, and we're called to make disciples who love God and love others. And so we've been talking about that love God and our relationship with God, and now we shift into the loving others and what that looks like. 
Um, so we, we know that God cares for us. We know that he wants to have a relationship with us, and that relationship is made possible with Jesus. He shows us in his word who we are. We are significant because we are children of God. But so what? What's the point? Why, why even care about that? Like, why understand that? What difference does that make in our lives? And so then that leads us to the question for today. Our question that we explore today is, how does God accomplish his purposes today? How is God accomplishing the things that he wants to accomplish? How does God work today? And so this answer drives so much of what we do as a church. Like if God is supposed to be accomplishing his purposes here on earth, how do we participate in that? How do we partner in that? What does that mean for us as a church? And so this is a question that really drives me personally. This, this drives my career decisions and, and what I do with my, my day-to-day life of, of how do we partner with God and what he's trying to accomplish with his purposes. Um, it, it hasn't always been that way for me. Um, I was on this path where I wanted to do something significant. I wanted to make a difference in the world. So the logical choice was to go into politics. And so as, a, as, as someone starting in eighth grade and all through high school, I was very involved in student government. And I, I just poured myself into student government. And then after I graduated high school, I spent uh, the summer volunteering for 40 hours a week um, because that's how politics work. You volunteer to work full-time jobs. And so I volunteered to work on a congressional campaign that was happening here in Albuquerque. It was a special election that was drawing national coverage. So I got to meet senators. I got to meet congressmen. I got to meet all these, these significant people, these movers and shakers of government uh, through the process of working through that summer of, of that special election. And during that same time, I had the opportunity to go to Washington, D.C. for two weeks and, and spend two weeks doing a mock Congress and a, a foreign affairs kind of model for, for high school and college students. And so I got to spend two weeks working on Capitol Hill, meeting in, in, in the different committee chambers. I got to go to the State Department. I got to go to different embassies and, and went through that whole process of seeing how government works. And at that same time, the congressional campaign that I was working on, they won. And so I got to go in to the swearing-in for this new Congress representative, got to go on the floor of the House for that event, got to go into the Speaker's office for the press conference, got to go to the members-only dining room and, and dine with the members on Capitol Hill. It was an incredible experience, all crammed into one summer. And I came back from that experience and decided that I was going to change my major. Um, that politics, in fact, is not the thing that changes the world. That seeing the underbelly of how all of this works in just that short amount of time made me realize that uh, that was not for me. And that was 18 years ago. I had to go back and do the math again. It was like 18, Wow. That's just weird. That was 18 years ago. And the political environment has changed just a bit since then, right? A little bit, yeah. And especially in the last few weeks. 
As we head into a presidential election, the rhetoric is going back and forth. It's been going for some time. The machine is going, and it is, it is just getting started. And so we've got all this hope for change and making America great and all this kind of stuff that, that tells us if we can just look to the right presidential candidate, then the world will be transformed, that things will be made right if we can just vote for the right guy or gal. And so we've, we've got this situation where we are relying on politics to change the world. And it became very clear to me in, in just that short amount of time that w- that was not where I needed to spend my energy. That was not what was going to transform the hearts of people. And that's what leads us to our core belief today. And this is one that I hold very firmly and drives so much of what I do. I believe the church is God's primary way to accomplish his purposes on earth. It's not through politics. It's not through a presidential candidate. It's not through Congress. It's through the church that God will work his purposes on earth. And yes, he will be involved in politics, and yes, he will be involved in current affairs, and and he will be involved in all of those things, but he will not use that as the primary source, the primary way of accomplishing his purposes. He gives us the church for that. And it's through the church that the world will be transformed. It's through the church and the people of God that he will accomplish his purposes. And so the mission of God is is one that all of us carry. It's not carried out by a president. It's not carried out by Congress. But it's carried out by the church. And so whatever political rhetoric you get involved in and whatever conversations you, you get sucked into and whatever Facebook comments you start commenting back and forth on, This world will not change because of who's president. And so we look at this word church. And church means so much to us. It's a word that brings to mind so many different images, so many different understandings. And we've talked about this before together. This is not not a new topic. This is something that I preached from like the first day I was here to think about what is the church and what is the mission of the church. And and we come to this word and we think of a building. We think of certain architecture. We think of a location. We think of sitting in pews with songbooks. We think of our childhood memories of what it was like to run up and down the aisles. We, We think of all these different things when we hear the word church. All of this comes to mind and it floods us with emotion Some really bad emotions, right? Some of us have been hurt by church. Some of us have been disappointed by church. Some of us have been in conflicts in church. We have seen things and been a part of things that makes us wonder, really, God, this is what you want to use? Like, like this is your plan? These people? (laughs) I, I mean, really? This is what you want to use to transform the world. And so we think about this word church, and it comes, it, it just brings so much to mind. 
We talked back in November about, about the mission of God and how we join in that mission of God. And the mission of God is through the church. We read the story of Scripture and we see these, this narrative that unfolds, this, this, these phases of the story. We start with creation, where God creates this, this perfect this perfect environment to be in relationship with his created, made in the image of God. And then, and then we see the fall of Adam and Eve and, and the brokenness of that relationship. And then, then throughout the, the majority of the rest of Scripture, we see this plan of redemption unfolding, where God is in pursuit of his people and, and wants to bring his people back into relationship with him. And so we see through these cycles uh, God's desire for us and his mission, his purposes. God gives this promise to Abram that starts this plan of redemption into motion. He says in Genesis chapter 12, The Lord had said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great. You will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. This is the promise that is given to, a to Abram as, as God forms a new nation to serve his purposes. He forms this people and, and brings them together. And this becomes the, the beginning of the nation of Israel. And throughout the Old Testament, we see the ups and downs of what that story is, right? Things go well and not so well, and well and not so well, and not so well, and not so well, and well and not so well, and not so well, and not so well. As people are trying to find what it means to be in relationship with God, and then they turn their back on God and break that relationship again. And that leads us to the coming of Jesus. Jesus, this perfect sacrifice who comes to, to live and to be crucified and to, to be resurrected, all within a relatively short amount of time. And God continues his work. He continues his mission, his promise to bring blessing to all the world through Abraham and those that come after him. And so Jesus tells us what's next in that story, that he comes and, and, and he brings this opportunity to be back in relationship with God. And Jesus has this conversation with his followers in Matthew 16. This is one of my favorite passages right here, as it, as it describes for us what the church is. Matthew 16, starting in verse 13. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? What's the gossip? What's going on? Who, what are people saying about me? Laura and I have that conversation too often. Um, they replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. This, these are some pretty good guys, right? This is a pretty good list of people to accuse you to be, right? But then he says, what about you? Okay, that's what other people are saying. What about you? Who do you say I am? And, and Peter steps up and responds for the group and says, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. 
What a confession. You are the Messiah. You are the one we've been waiting for. You're the one who is going to bring redemption. You're the one who's going to bring salvation. You are the one we've been waiting for. And Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that, that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys to the, of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he ordered his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. And so they identify Jesus as the Messiah. And Jesus says, yes, you've got it figured out. Don't tell anybody yet, but you've got it figured out. And it's on this. It's on this confession. It's on this group of people, however you want to interpret this, this part of Scripture here. But it's on this that I will build my church. I'm going to build my church on this. And so Jesus gives us a promise here, a promise that, that the church will be formed and nothing can beat it. Nothing can beat the church. How great of a statement, how great of a prophecy is that by Jesus to say this church that I'm forming, it doesn't matter who's president. It doesn't matter who's king. It doesn't matter what country is in power. The church is going to outlast all of those things. It doesn't matter if Trump's elected or Hillary or Sanders or, or whoever. The church will continue. Because even the gates of hell, which is worse than all of those candidates, regardless of what you think, the, the gates of hell will not overcome it. So anything less than hell will not overcome it as well. And so, <laughs> I'm just, I just want to offend everybody today, right? So, I don't care which candidate you like. They're, you know, they're all, you know, everybody thinks something about the other one. All right. I'm an equal opportunity offender. So, Jesus' response to this confession is so powerful to say that, that here's the, I'm going to build something here. And now this word church, we've talked about it before, it's this word ecclesia, it's this, this idea of a gathering. It's, it's not a building, it's not an institution, it's not a form of government, it's, it's a gathering of people who were called out of their homes for a particular purpose. It was actually a term that was used more for political things at the time. To say people were called out of their homes to be gathered together for some purpose. And Jesus is saying, I am going to call people out. I'm going to gather them around for my purposes and for my mission. And that's what the gathering of my people will be. And nothing will overcome this gathering. And so God's mission is for all of us. He calls us into this place, not into a building, not into a denomination, not into a certain label, but he calls us into his mission to fulfill what was promised all the way back at Abraham to bring blessing to the world. And we are used in that mission. 
And so what an incredible prophecy that Jesus is making here, that I will form this church and it will outlast any king, it will outlast any government, and any nation it has because it's been going on for 2,000 years. And now there are 2.4 billion people who call themselves followers of Jesus. What started with just a handful of people has outlasted every king, every empire, every government since then. And we are a part of the fulfillment of that prophecy. We're a fulfillment of that promise that has been given to us. It's a promise that is given, but it's also a promise that has purpose. After Jesus is risen from the dead, he meets back with his followers and, and expands some on what this church is all about. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, he says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And so we have the promise, the promise of the gift of the Holy Spirit that comes and empowers this church, this gathering of people. But there is also a purpose. There's a purpose to be witnesses to the ends of the earth. That gathering here is not just about having a cozy little hangout for Christians. It's not about being comfortable. It's not about doing what feels right for us. It's about being a part of the mission of God. It's a gathering of people called out of their current place, called out of their comfort zones, called out of their homes, out of their self-centered lives, into the mission of God. That's what he calls us into. And that same promise, that same purpose is given to each of us. It's not given just to the elders. It's not given just to me. It's not given to someone else. It is given to each and every one of us. God gives us this. We each have a part to play. Paul describes the church this way. In Ephesians 4, instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. And so several times Paul uses this analogy of a body, a physical body, that has arms and nubs and legs and things. And this body comes together and we all serve our purpose. We all are a part of the body. We each have a role to play. We each have responsibilities. We each bring together our own time and our talent and our treasures for the purposes of God. And that's what the gathering of the church is. Each part does its work, all while being built up in love. And so what is it that you believe about the church? What is it that, that you, you think? When you hear that word church, how do you engage in that? Do you believe that 
God wants to work his purposes through you. Do you really believe that? We say that in some sort of intellectual understanding that, yeah, God wants to use me. But is that in your heart? To say, God wants to use me for something. God has a role for me to play. God has a purpose for my life as a part of this gathering of people. I think some of us answer that question with, there's no way God can use me. I'm too fill-in-the-blank. Too old, too young, too poor, too rich, too, too whatever. Not trained enough, trained too much, too busy, not busy enough. Whatever the answer is to that fill-in-the-blank as to what the excuse is as to why God can't use me. God can use each and every one of us. He's called each and every one of us into that. He's given each one of us a talent, a gift, to be able to participate in that. And so I want, I want you to close your eyes for a moment. Some of you have been doing that for a while. Um, <laughs> close your eyes. Yes, I see everything from up here. Um, close your eyes for a moment. And I want us to engage in a little bit of personal prayer time here. And I want you to ask this question of God, God, what do you want to do through me? What is it that you want to do through me? Because we all have time, we all have talent, we all have treasures that God wants to use for his purposes. He's given us these unique gifts to be used for the sake of the body. And so I want you to spend just a moment now praying, God, what do you want to do through me in regards to my time? Pray for a moment. God, what do you want to do through me in regards to my time? Now pray, God, what do you want to do through me in regard to my talent, into the, the unique gifts that I've been given into my talents? God, what do you want to do through me in regard to my talent? And then finally, God, what do you want to do through me in regard to my treasure? And treasure can be my money, my bank account, my house, my car, the physical possessions that I have. God, what do you want to do through me in regard to my treasure? God, I pray that you will continue to challenge us and show us how we can be good stewards of the things that you've given us. God, we want you to, to use us. We want you to use our, our time and our talent and our treasure for your purposes, for your kingdom. And so, God, continue to convict us and show us how we can do that. Give us answers to that question. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So I want to challenge you to continue to pray that prayer. God, what do you want to do through me? God, what do you want to do through me in regards to my time and my talent and my treasure? Because, because we all have been given a unique amount of each of those. Some of us have been given very little time because of our season of life. Some of us have been given a lot of extra time because of that season of life. Some of us have been given tremendous talents that can be used in ways that we're not using them. 
Maybe we're using them for very selfish reasons or, or for selfish gain. Maybe we have talents that could be, be used for kingdom purposes. And then maybe there is treasure that we have. And may, maybe it's dollars. And this is, this is not a guilt you into giving more into the offering plate kind of talk. This is what treasure do you have and how will you use that treasure for the purposes of God? Maybe you have a home and you have not invited anybody into that home for dinner in a very long time. And you need to use your home and invite somebody over for dinner. Something as simple as that. Use your home. Use the resources that God has given you for his purposes. So God, what do you want to do through me in regards to my time, talent, and treasure? Because God is using us, this gathering of people, to serve his purposes in this location, in this neighborhood, and in this city. And I am convinced that everything that we need to do what God has called us to do, he will give us. So if you look at the, the offering numbers and they're low, then that's what we need. God has given us all of the people. God has given us all of the resources that we need to do what he has called us to do. And that just takes an act of faith that I'd struggle through. <laughs> because I always want more. If we only had fill in the blank, then we would be able to fill in the blank. God says, no, I've given you everything that you need. I just need you to be faithful with what I've given you. Last November, we, we celebrated 50 years of, of worshiping together in this location, and it was the anniversary of a building. It wasn't the anniversary of a church. It wasn't an anniversary of the people of God. It was an anniversary of a building, and a building is a tool that has been used uh, for incredible purposes over the years. This building has been used in incredible ways for 50 years, but it is only just a building. The building is not the church. The people who gather here, we're the church. And the work that we do and the resources that we, we bring together through time, talent, and treasure, that's the work of the church, not a facility. And so as, as the group that gathers here at 7201 Montgomery, we are a part of God's mission. We are a part of what he's doing in this neighborhood and in this city and in this world. And he has called us to be a unique representation of that mission. And it's unique to this time. It's unique to this location. And, and we take the mission of God very seriously. That is what we are called to do. We're, we're not bound by tradition. We're not bound by building. We are bound to the mission of God. That is what we're called to. And so we pray and we wait and we work as God's purposes continue to unfold in front of us, as we see him at work and moving in different ways. And God's purposes are still unfolding. They're, they are still being revealed to us. We aren't just here to sit in the pews. We're not here uh, just to wait until Jesus comes back. We're here to do something and to be a part of the work of God.
And so I believe that this world absolutely needs the church. More than anything else, it needs the church. More than any political party, more than any government structure, the world needs the church. And the church will always prevail. The church always wins. That's God's promise to us. And that's God's promise for change. It's not about the institution of the church. It's, it's not about the building of the church or the leaders of the church. It is about the people of the church, every single one of us, gathering together, embracing the mission, and pointing people to Jesus. And so if you believe that, if you believe that, let's stand together and say this together. I believe the church is God's primary way to accomplish his purposes on earth. Amen. That is what I believe, and that's what drives me and keeps me going through the work of the church in all of its ugliness, in all of its dysfunction, in all of its quirkiness. This is what God wants to use transform the world. We're going to spend some time praying together. It's an opportunity for us to, to lift one another up in prayer, to encourage one another, to, to help hold one another accountable. If, if you think God is telling you something about how you need to be using your time, your treasure, and your talent, share that with somebody and have them hold you accountable to that. To speak it means you will take the steps to actually make it happen. Those are steps that we take to get things back into the heart instead of just stuck in the head. And so I want to encourage you to go across the aisle to gather your family together, to gather your small group together. Uh, the shepherds will be down front. You can pray with them as well. This is a time for us to, to encourage one another through prayer, uh, through whatever circumstances we find ourselves in. Let's pray together. God, we thank you so much for your son Jesus. We thank you for uh, the relationship that we have through, uh, with you through him. God, we thank you for this gathering of people that have come together for your purposes. God, I pray that we will be faithful stewards of that call, that we will be faithful stewards of the mission that you have given us, and that we will, we will give everything that we have to your purposes because you have given everything that you have had to those purposes. God, we thank you for that. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.